0: Okay, Erev Tov, we begin the fourth part in the series of Koldo Didofeik, Feik, Rav Soloveitchik's seminal essay on religious Zionism, published and delivered in 1956. We've gone through discussions about the righteous suffering and Eov. We've discussed an existence of fate versus an existence of destiny. We've discussed the importance of listening to when God knocks, when God is knocking on our door, when heaven knocks on our door, and the six knocks that were... uh, that came into existence during Medinat Israel, the creation of Medinat Israel. The uh, we then moved on to a a national a national existence of fate versus destiny. We spoke about the covenant of fate, which was created in Mitraim. And we have two basically we have two different covenants. The Jewish people have two covenants and I just want to want to give you the big picture here. Okay? And before I give you the big picture, I just want to mention everything in Rav Salabajik's thought is based on the dialectic about the tension, the opposition of two different opposing ideas that coexist, that... and there's a dialectic, there's a tension between them and it's between the... because com- reality is complex. So reality can only be captured in multiple dimensions, not just in one, oh, you know, this is, this is the way it is. No, there's a brief. So let's do this from the beginning. There is a, a, a brief. God creates a covenant of Goral, of fate, with the Jewish people in Mitzrayim. Contrast that with a covenant, a Brit of Yehud, of destiny, at Har Sinai. Those, okay? Now, let's just do the covenant of, of Goral. Okay? What does that include? It includes, it's, it's, we live together, we, we're connected, we're bound to each other, because we're forced to. It's because of the outside, the external, our oppressors, because of the, the fate of the Jew. Okay? The, you know, the anti-Semitism that binds us together as Jews is symbolized in the Exodus in Egypt. And out of this, out of this bond, okay, this bond is multiple dimensions. It's a sense of, we're together, you know, when the non-Jews want to kill us. It also creates a sense of chesed. Okay, there's a connection that Jews have to each other because we're bound by the same fate. Okay, but there's even something, there's something that's natural to the animal kingdom in this regard. Animals also bind to get, bind together when, when they are threatened. And that's what the covenant of fate Signifies, okay? And, uh, and this is all connected to Brit Mitzrayim. On the other side, okay, you have uh, the Brit of Yehud, of destiny. And this is not associated with chesed that we do for each other. This is about Kiddusha, sanctity. Okay, this is, uh, this is something unique to the human, human species. There's nothing animalistic about it. Uh, and this is an experience that takes part of Harsinai. Now, the Brit of Goral of, Har Sinai, of Mitzrayim was forced upon us. It's something that happens from outside of us. God sort of said, I will will forcibly take you out of Egypt. That's the language we use in Chazal. Whereas when it comes to Harsinai, we chose it. Right? Nase, venishma. This is a dialectic. Being forced, but chosen. Fate, destiny. Chesed, Kedusha. Okay? Now, there's just one more sort of. A sort of um, binary that the Rambam use, that the, the Reb uses in this regard. And that is the difference between an Eidah and a Kahal. Mm-hmm. Okay? An encampment and a congregation, this is in chapter 8. And, Terry, and, did we do officially chapter 7? I think we did do chapter oh, 7. Mm-hmm. Was Covenant of Destiny. Covenant of Destiny, and I think the example I gave last week was that, you know, listen, Israel does very well when we're being attacked by our enemies. We bind together that feeling of, I am a Jew. I am a Jew is very strong. The question is, when can we build a vision of future together, based on sanctity, on Torah values? That's the challenge of Brit Yi'ud. Okay, we're very good when we're when we're defending, when we're, when our survival is being threatened. The question is, how do we do when you know remove all the external enemies? Okay, and can we can we choose to bind ourselves together volitionally, based on? values of shared values of sanctity and Torah and mitzvot we're not quite there yet we're still working we're still working on this we've got a lot of work to do and that's the covenant of destiny okay so um, and in chapter 8 the Rev sort of uses another binary okay and that's the difference between an encampment and a congregation now think of an encampment in the desert when you camp together in the desert what do you do to protect yourself or what are your concerns when you're camping in the desert the marauders. The elements. What else? Marauders. Marauders. What else? Snakes, lions, and tigers, and bears. That's part of the elements. Oh my! Right, part of the elements. So, what do you do in order to protect yourself? You build a fence. You, you, you build a fence. You put. You build tents. You have guardsmen, right? You ration the water. You create a system to. So imagine, you know, an encampment is about physical survival, okay? And, that's, and that's the, that's, that corresponds to the goral of, of fate, okay? Brit goral. Whereas a congregation, and I'm reading here in the chapter 8, encampment is created out of a desire for self-defense and thrives on fear. A congregation is fashioned out of longing for the realization of an exalted moral idea and thrives on love. Congregation, you come together. We want to build a kihilah with the following values. Now, where does the rub get these two terms from? They come from Sefer Bamidbar. The Torah uses both of these terms, encampments and congregations. Okay? Make for yourselves two silver trumpets of hammered work, and they shall be to summon the congregation, and for causing the encampments to set forth. Congregation, encampments. Okay? Um, again, an encampment has, a, has an animalistic dimension to it. Animals also join together to protect each other. Okay, they travel in herds. Okay, they, uh, you know, the. Uh, I'm a big fan of Animal Planet, right? Love Animal Planet and Planet Earth, and you know, you see the. You see how the animals will, will, you know, the. Um, um, the bison will join together when a lion attacks. Okay, they can't fend off a lion on their own. But six of them can push out a lion, right? Okay. Now, um, the congregation is not created as a result of negative causes or out of fear of the fate that pursues man who senses his own misery and feebleness, but rather as a result of positive impulses. Destiny is the foundation of the congregation. Congregation is a collection... I'm I'm reading in the middle of chapter eight. Okay, but this is a little... I'm sorry? Paragraph five. Paragraph I, this is five. Sorry. Okay. Paragraph five. Which, Ch- which chapter eight. I paragraph, paragraph 5 I'm in, No, I'm in Kemen in Kemenin congregation. Chapter eight. It's not numbered. And oh. The, the chapters don't number, it, but it's a fifth paragraph. Ma'chanev eda. Exactly. Ma'chanev Machane eda. You're now in five. Okay. okay five. So the number the chapters are different in this book. So that's that's important. So it's indeed. Indeed. indeed okay. congregation. Indeed. Okay. Okay. That whole fight down there. Okay. Okay, just, we'll, 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 we'll all join together again for the next chapter, conversion, okay? But a congregation is a collection of individuals with a single past, a common future, shared aspirations, identical yearnings for a world that is totally good and pleasant, and a singular harmonious destiny. I don't think the Jewish people have succeeded at building a, a vision of destiny yet. We haven't actualized the Brit of Yehud. Brit Gorel, we feel it all the time. Brit Yehud is no, we haven't felt it yet. Brit Gorel is about solidarity with the Jewish people, right? Especially after the Holocaust, all the wars, all gone through terror attacks, anti Semitism. Brit Yehud is when we come together and we say, we have this positive, really powerful vision that we want to build together. I don't think we're we're there yet. We don't have a shared vision at this point for the future. Okay? Now, the congregation also includes past, present, and future. I'm skicking, skipping a few lines. The congregation encompasses not only those who are alive today, but everyone who has lived and will live from the dawn of humanity until the end of days. We feel, yeah, exactly. You feel bound to... You feel bound to the past and the future. And that's part of you know, Jewish peoplehood. A congregation is a holy nation that does not fear fate and does not live against its will. It believes in its destiny and its free will sanctifies itself for its realization. Okay, The covenant of destiny is about a choice of the Jewish people. The covenant of fate is something we are forced into. The greatest example of being forced into being Jewish was Nazi German. No matter what you did to show your loyalty to the Germans, you were unacceptable because you were racially Jewish. It was the greatest reminder to us of the covenant of fate, which the Rev believes can be explained by no other explanation than the Brit that Hashem made. It, it, it's it's meaning it, it's a metaphysical reality that we could only understand through the covenant that Hashem makes in the Torah we can't explain anti-Semitism in any other logical fashion okay good let's move on to chapter 9 for me chapter 9 conversion by circumcision and immersion okay now this parallel of the Brit of Goral and Yuud connects to conversion as well. Every convert has to go through two different actions, at least a male. What are the two actions a male needs to go through? Brit. And, Mikva. and a Mikva. Okay, Tvila. Mik, uh, Brit, Brit Milah, and Tvila. Again, we're going to see this dynamic, this dialectic. Two different dimensions, two different aspects, two different aspects of... Of, human, of, of conversion to Judaism. Now, anyone know the Gemara in Masachat Ivamot? I think it's on mendalit or so. How, do you, how does a person go through conversion? What's the first thing we say to him? Or her? What do we say to them? No? Do you know that the Jewish people are persecuted? Yeah, are you sure you want to join the Jewish people who are persecuted or oppressed? I mean, why would you want to join such a lowly people? And then the person says, you know what? I want this. And what do we say then? Okay, let's teach you some mitzvot. Let's get moving. Okay, right there, brit goral, brit yud. You do you identify with the Jewish people, with the fate of the Jewish people? Will you stand with us in times of challenge? Right, or will you reject us when it's convenient to do so? That's the brit of goral. That's the first element of conversion. And that is symbolized, I'm saying it outside now and we'll read it outside in a second, that is symbolized by the Brit Milah, about being bound to something. It can't be changed. Right, it's bound to our goof. And then there's the second part, which is the tefillah. When a person dips in the mikvah. They're transforming themselves spiritually. They're raising themselves up in kidusha, in holiness and sanctity, and committing to the mitzvot. And that's that's tefillah. Okay, that's when you go into the that's when you go into the mikvah. And every conversion, at least for a male, has to have these two elements. For a woman, obviously, it's just tefillah. But you know, they because physically it's a different. Uh, I mean, women have a bit different nature, but but. The same two elements exist here. Now, so these correspond to Brit Goral and Brit Yiut. Okay? Now, let's see chapter 9. I'm reading from my chapter 9. We're going to read this whole chapter. Conversion by circumcision and immersion. The integration into the fate, into the destiny of the chosen national people cannot be separated from the experience of belonging to Knesset Yisrael as an integrated whole whose historical existence embodies the dual ideas of loving kindness and holiness. Remember, loving kindness is Brit-Goral. We do kindness to each other at a, because of our faith. Holiness, Kedushah, is related to Brit-Yiud. The covenant of Sinai completed the covenant of Egypt. So they complement each other. One builds off the other. Two, two floors of a uh, of, of an edifice. It's not that one is... There's a Brit-Goral, which is the fundamentals, the foundation, and we build on that, the Brits Yud. We need both. In contrast to, in the beginning of the book when we spoke about the individual fate and, exist and destiny, the Rev was saying there you should leave an existence of fate and move towards an existence of destiny. Remember, existence of fate, don't ask questions about why bad things happened. Don't get stuck in there. Rather, move to an existence of destiny of do things. Make the world a better place. Bring chesed into the world. Now... Um, a Jew who participates in the suffering of his nation and its fate, but does not join in its destiny, which is expressed in the life of Torah and mitzvot, destroys the essence of Judaism and injures his own uniqueness. That's pretty strong. Now, who might be an example of that? We're not like looking to judge, but who sort of fits into that category? Paradox Jews. Hmm? Heterodox Jews. Jews or maybe maybe uh, political Zionists, secular Zionists they identify with the, the suffering of the nation, they want to build a nation to protect the Jewish people but they don't understand the unique vision of Judaism, they want to build a nation state that should be like other nation states right? was Medinati so created? I mean, everything that we, all of this can be captured in one question. Was Medinat Sol created in order for the Jews to become like all the other people? Or for us to express our distinction and uniqueness? Was the purpose of the Medinat to assimilate? We're going to have a nation state just like all the other nation states, then we'll be accepted. They won't hate us anymore in Germany and France. They'll like us when we're in our own place and we'll be just like everyone else. Or is it meant to be an expression of, wait a second, we have a state which is a unique expression of Jewish ideals and values. And we're distinct, we're different. Creating a different state. Exclusive? Every state has its own identity. Every, every nation has its own identity. No, but remember, remember what Herzl is saying. Herzl's assumption was if we leave Europe and create our own state, we will then be accepted amongst the nations. Okay? So we- so he thought, of course, so he thought. Okay, and what have we learned since then? We've learned that it's just, we're, Israel's just another punching bag for anti-Semitism. It doesn't matter what we do, where we are, whether we're the communists, the socialist, the capitalists, whether we're liberal or right-wing, or this or that, it doesn't matter. They find a way for us to be the punching bag. And whether it's anti-Semitism in Nazi Germany or in the Arab world, it, it metastasizes. Okay? That is the... You know, this is, the, this is the reality. So Herzl in that sense was wrong. He was right on other things and we're very thankful and appreciative of Herzl. And I would also mention that Herzl also did have a positive vision. It wasn't just about protecting the Jewish people. He had a positive vision, a little more socialist with a socialist band, but it also had some Jewish elements to it. Okay, Sometimes we think Herzl was, oh, it's just about creating any state. No, he had a vision for that state. He speaks about a cultural center on the Temple Mount. Okay, It's not quite a Beit HaMikdash. I mean, but it's something, you know, of a positive cultural value. Um, he has, uh, I think, I think he has the notion of Shabbos. He's got, he's got seven stars on his flag, all right? You know, which symbolize the the seven uh, seven hours of the workday. Okay, again, a more socialist vision. But uh, but he, he was later in his in his life, Herzl did connect more deeply to Jewish values. By the way, okay. Um, now that might be. Now, on the other hand, by the same token, a Jew who is observant but does not feel the hurt of the nation, and who attempts to distance himself from Jewish fate, desecrates his Jewishness. Well, who might that be? all It could be some Haredim. I think many of them do identify with the fate of the Jewish people, but but some, you know, I don't think they recognize what's really going on here. I don't think they. I don't think they feel that same you know, the, the suffering always. Um, you know, it's also maybe true of the, sometimes it's true of the, uh, you know, that, I mean, they're, they're, they're not, they don't necessarily observe observance, but, but the, liberal, the liberal Jews out there who like, you know, who identify more with, you know, the liberal Palestinian causes than they do with the Jewish causes. I mean, that's... But no, in this thing, he specifically says a Jew who is observant yeah, 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 <inaudible> 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 correct, correct. But there are people who lack both of these. Okay, of course. Now, by the way, the Rambam does write that one of the people who don't go to Shamayim and I think this is right, don't go to Ulam HaBath, they're no are people a are people, people who separate themselves from the Jewish people, which means that they don't identify with the suffering of the Jewish people. Okay, and unfortunately, we all know Jews of this case, of this type You know, when rockets are raining down and, you know, oh, they're first, they're just always pointing the finger. It's because of, because of them, because of, because of the Jews and they don't feel any, there's no empathy, there's no sympathy. It's very, very disturbing. Now, a Gentile who wishes to join the nation, we're continuing to read, must take upon himself both covenants. He places himself in the ambit of Jewish faith and sanctifies himself for the acceptance of the Jewish destiny. The act of conversion involves associating oneself as a member of the people of the covenants of Egypt and of Sinai. Keep this important principle in mind, there is no such thing as partial conversion. One cannot omit one iota of either of these two covenants. Total devotion to the Jewish people as a nation that God took to himself in Egypt, with all its tribulations, suffering, responsibilities and actions, and as a holy nation that is itself consecrated heart and soul to the God of Israel and his halachic and moral demands is the absolute foundation of Judaism and hence is also the basis of conversion. Okay? And we'll see this in a second, but it's captured by Ruth when she converts. Amech amii, your nation are my nation. elokai, and your people are my people. For this reason, Avachah dictates that a convert who has been circumcised but has not yet immersed himself in a mikvah where was immersed himself and has not yet been circumcised, is not fully converted until he does both. You have to do both. Now, the Rub does have a fascinating discussion of lambdas, okay, in this footnote at the, footnote the back of the book. Is, is, is circumcision a prerequisite for then being able to convert, or is it part of the conversion process? Okay, splitting hairs a little bit, you know, but it's, it's a, it's a you know, deeper discussion on a halachic level. But the point is you need both. Okay. Um, circumcision which was given to Abraham the, Hebrew, the father of the Jewish faith and to which was fulfilled in Egypt prior to the offering of the paschal sacrifice. The symbol of the redemption from Egypt signifies the faithful otherness of the nation, its necessary isolation and uniqueness. Circumcision is a sign sculpted into the very physical being of the Jew. It is a constant indelible sign between God, the God of the Jews, and his people. One that cannot be erased. If the covenant of fate is not sealed in the flesh, the singularity of peoplehood is absent, and the Gentile remains outside the bounds of the covenant of Egypt. That's part one, representing the covenant of fate. And the covenant of destiny, immersion in the con- in contrast to circumcision, represents the integration of. Of man into his great destiny and his entry into the covenant of Sinai. It's about the kedusha, okay. And the Jewish people, by the way, experience some form of tvilah at Har Sinai. Moshe sprinkles blood on them. Okay, it's a form of tvilah, if you will. The Jews were commanded to immerse themselves prior to the giving of the Torah at Sinai. Immersion, immersion purifies and elevates from the profane to the holy, from life as it is to a life filled with sublime vision. When the convert emerges from the waters of the mikvah, a new spiritual reality replete with destiny fills him. And he is endowed with the sanctity of the Jew, Kiddushat Yisrael. It is not coincidental that the act of accepting the yoke of the commandments is tied to immersion. is tied to con, uh, immersion. The entire essence of immersion is the recreation of the experience of the acceptance of the Torah and the elevation of the people to the status of a holy nation through its freely given commitment to obey God's word. Well, wow. I always thought of uh, as going to the mikvah as an act of recreation. Now the rabbi is suggesting it's actually an act, an act of reacceptance of the mitzvah. Okay. If the convert is circumcised and does not immerse himself, then the association of man to destiny is missing, and the gentile is fenced off from the covenant of Sinai and from a halachic identification with the holy nation. The formula for conversion in the book of Ruth contains these two aspects, and their essence lies in the four final words of Ruth to Naomi, your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Now, this also, he doesn't say it explicitly, although we'll see in a footnote in just a second, he references this a little bit. Clearly, this also speaks to the content, like what do you need to take upon yourself when you convert, right? So, can you convert without accepting upon yourself the mitzvot? No, that would fail to fulfill Tevila, immersion. Okay, covenant of destiny. Okay? Um, And, you know, and that's like a really big and important point, because what happens with conversion today, very often, typical situation, is a person wants to marry a Jew. So, they seem to want to identify with the Jewish people. Okay, there is some connection there. And maybe they move to Israel, or maybe they've you know, they've shown that they're, they're connected to, to the Jewish people. But the question is whether they're going to take on the mitzvot. They're going to keep Shabbos and keep Kashrut. So it's the covenant of destiny which hangs in the balance, which is why, you know, Beit Din has them go through a long process because of this this challenge and this reality. Okay? Now, I do want to mention, though, footnote, what, what it seems to be missing from here, any mention of Kabbalat mitzvot accepting the mitzvot. Let's look at footnote number 22 in the back. Okay, footnote 22. These were added by the Rub after the lecture. Okay, does everybody, uh, everybody anyone able to add? Able to access? 22. Yeah. Go all the way to the end, footnote 22. Okay. I'll read. The fact that the acceptance of the obligation to perform mitzvot, kabbalat o mitzvot, is tied to the immersion. That's connected. So accepting the mitzvot is tied to the tefillah, going in the mikvah, which is an integral part of the conversion process, is also axiomatic, as is explained in Yavavot, it's not Memzai. Rashi expresses this point explicitly. For now, by the act of immersion, he effectively converts. Hence, at the time of the immersion, he must accept the commitment to observe the mitzvot. However, Tosvot states, that kabbalat Mitzvot can occur before immersion. Maimonides states, a, and this is in Hilchot Isra'biya, Paragid Gimel, a convert who was who was not questioned as to whether he would be faithful to the performance of the mitzvot, or who was not informed of the mitzvot and the punishments for transgressions. What do you do? Some of the Beitim didn't ask him all these questions, and they say, "Okay, you're converted." Goes in the mikvah, does his conversion, is brimilah, but he didn't. He was never really confirmed whether he's going to keep the mitzvot. Does a conversion work? So, the Ramam speaks about this issue, and he speaks about it, but a person who was circumcised before a court of three is a convert. The Ramam says, this person counts as a convert, even though you have not confirmed that they're going to keep the mitzvah. Bidyev, it's not ideal, but bidyev, it counts. The Rav says, and he says this throughout his work, I once heard from my father, Rav Moshe Salavechik blessed memory. The Rav, we don't speak about his father so much, his father was Rav Moshe Salivich, great Talmud Chacham, top Rosh Hashiva at Wayu, The Rav came to uh, America with his with his parents, his father at least I know, and uh, the Rav's father becomes Rosh Hashiva at Wayu. He was a huge Talmud Chacham. He taught the Rav. I think they went through twenty five Masechtot together when he was a young child. Bi'iyun, okay, in depth, sitting in the by the fireplace, in the baby drash and brisk, okay. When he moves to America, does he learn English? He learns English, sure. English. Yeah, he knew five or six, seven languages. Sure. That Maimonides did no. And this is what the Rabbis. I once heard from my father of Moisha Selivitch, of blessed memory, that Maimonides did not intend to say that a convert who converted with the intention of not fulfilling the mitzvot is considered a true convert. Ralam is not saying that you're a true convert if you didn't accept the mitzvot. Okay, such a notion would uproot. The entire concepts of conversion. And Kidushati Israel, the sanctity of the Jewish people. Maimonides' opinion is that the acceptance of mitzvot is not a distinct act in the conversion process that requires the oversight of a beitin as does immersion. Of course you need to accept the mitzvot. Just it's not a separate, it's not a third act. There are two acts. Bribila, tvilah. Part of the tvilah is the acceptance of the mitzvot. So you can't have a convert who doesn't accept the mitzvot. It just doesn't need to be done in front of Beitim, but it, it's Muvan me'elav that it's happening. Okay, um, it's rather an overriding characteristic theme in the conversion process that is predicated upon, okay, predicated upon acceptance of the responsibility for observing mitzvot. Therefore, if we know that a convert by his conversion is willing to accept the Torah and mitzvot. Even though there is no formal notification of the mitzvot and formal acceptance by the convert, the immersion will be legally sufficient because the convert intends to live the sacred life of a committed Jew. In contrast, if they don't. we know they don't accept the mitzvot. The guy's got a cheeseburger in his pocket. If he's going into the mikveh. I don't know why you'd want to eat a soggy cheeseburger. But people do crazy things. I don't know why you'd want to go through a conversion process and not keep the mitzvah, but fine. You wouldn't, it, then we know it wouldn't count. In contrast, the vote that we recited before seems to maintain that the acceptance of the Yoke Mitzvot is a discrete act in the conversion process and that the requirement for the Beit vote was restricted there. To, okay, we that um, Yes? Much colder? A little bit? I'll we'll turn it off. Falls asleep, sure. Okay. <laughs> no worries, it's okay. No worries. I that, was that, used to say that that was what I, Rabbi Beller's equal little fight did to crank up the easy shul. He was crazy. I don't have such problems. No one falls asleep in my dresser. Right <laughs> we all need to keep <laughs> little shoals in our boxes. i serious. <laughs> oh, now, you know that feeling when it's, there's no air conditioning. People <laughs> are just like, ah. Uh... So <laughs> well, what is interesting, and now that I'm thinking about this, is the rub suggesting that you could do a partial conversion to Judaism? Or, or is one out of two nothing? Like, is one out of two half? Or is it nothing? Just going back to his language here. Yeah. for this, I'm just reading his language. Just something to ponder here. For this reason, Allah had that a convert who has been circumcised, but has not yet immersed himself in the mikvah, or has immersed himself and has not yet been circumcised, is not fully converted until he does both. I don't know. Okay. we we'll just see one. Okay, fine. What to think of that? So, chapter 10. Mournful Thoughts of Confession. Oh, no. Okay, this is also a short chapter. What's, what's our no? Okay, let us pose a simple question. I love in this essay, by the way, how the rub switches from topic to topic, but they're all interrelated. Did we not sin with respect to the first covenant, the covenant of shared fate, with regard to our obligation to participate in the pain of the nation and to see and feel its suffering? This is the beauty of the Rav essay. You know, we pointed, oh, maybe the Haredim don't get it. Or the political Zionists. But he turns to our community and says, hey, you guys, you guys sitting in the pews, did we make a mistake? Did we fail to fulfill one of these covenants? As it is said, he witnessed their burdens. Let us be honest, during the terrible Holocaust, when European Jewry was systematically destroying gas chambers and crematoria, the American Jewish community did not rise to the occasion, and did not acquit itself as a community with a collective consciousness of shared fate, shared suffering, and shared action with which it should have been expected to act. The Rub is condemning American Jewry for not doing enough during the Holocaust. Anybody know some of the history? Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. he did pick upon this a little bit earlier. Is this true, by the way? Anyone know a little bit about American Jewish Jewry's response to the Holocaust? I know that a lot of rabbis did come to the White House, but they were told to not make too much noise or something, and they, they turned back. They didn't really. There were there was a, grub, a bunch of Orthodox rabbis yes. that went. You know, no one wanted to. Rock the boat. No one wanted to rock the boat. I mean, America but had. The position of Jews. America was not all that strong in And it wasn't all that strong, that's true, but, but there's, you know, it's one thing to just, to just, you know, lay low and not say anything versus was, to fight. Correct, correct, correct. The it wasn't so was simple and was there was a huge, so strong, and there was a massive, massive, massive war effort, of which the Jews took part, okay? My grandfather was a GI, okay, and as were many... You know, many grandparents from this, you know, were, you know, they went to the, they went to the army. Like, if not mistaken, my great, he didn't speak about it much, but he was at some point visited, like went on his tour of duty. He ended up in Dachau. Okay, I, I, I wish I could have spoken to him about it, but um. But uh, okay, we did not properly sense the suffering of the nation and we did precious little to save our unfortunate brethren. It is hard to know what we could have accomplished had we been more active. I personally think we could have saved many. Wow. No doubt, however, if we had properly felt the pain of our brothers, had we raised our voices and shaken worlds, that Roosevelt issue a sharp warning of protest accompanied by action, we would have been able to significantly slow the process of mass destruction. We witnessed the most horrible tragedy in our history and we were silent. I shall not dwell, now dwell on the particulars. It is an extremely painful chapter. We all sin by our silence in the face of the murder of millions. Do we not all stand before God's seat of judgment, charged with the grievous sin of you shall not stand idly by the blood of your neighbor? Especially when the sin applies not only to one million individuals, but to millions. When I say we, I mean all of us, including myself, the members of rabbinic and lay organizations, both the Orthodox and Secular and Jewish political organizations of all persuasions. And he quotes from a beautiful interpretation. I mean, just bringing this in. Your leaders, tribal heads, elders and policemen. when every person is from the ewers of your wood to the drawers of your water, atan nitsavim ayom kochem lefne Hashem kochem lefne Hashem elokachem lefne Hashem elokachem lefne Hashem shivteichem sikneichem v'shotachem kol Yisrael mechotei v'tzacha ad shoei me'macha. Do you know why we were so indifferent? I think it is because our sense of nationhood was damaged. We did not grasp the notion of the experience of shared fate and the essence of peoplehood. We were missing the attribute of a and kindness that Job at first also lacked. Job who suffered was devoid of a sense of shared experience and therefore did not know how to pray for his brothers. His concern was only for his own and his family's well-being. We were also devoid of the sense of the covenant of encampmentation and therefore did not offer heartfelt prayers. Nor did we take any bold measures to save our brothers. We didn't feel connected enough, he's saying. In the crisis in the land of Israel that President passing through, Providence is again testing us. Now, we failed with the Holocaust, the Rebbe is saying. Are we going to fail with Medinat Yisrael as well? I would argue today, I'll speak for American Jewry for a second. American Jewry is failing Medinat Yisrael today not the non-Orthodox community, but other parts of the community, Haredi, conservative, liberal, reform, reconstructionist. We don't even talk about Israel on their shuls anymore. Israel is too divisive. Right? They don't appreciate what Metinat Israel is. They just read the, the headlines of certain newspapers, which I read myself also. You have to know the news. and am not, uh, you know... And then they don't, and, 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 and that's it. Oh, you know, that, and for them that scars, it defaces the whole existence of Medinat Israel. They lose the forest by just seeing one or two trees. Yes, okay, yes, yes, there is what to critique it, there's no doubt about it. There are things that all of us wish were different. No question about it, we have to improve certain things. Re- to reject then the whole project, the whole enterprise of Medinat Israel. To identify more with our enemies than on Yisrael, that is a failure in the covenant. defeat. And that's what the Rev going to talk about. In the crisis of the land of Israel as a present passing through, Providence is again testing us. It is fitting that we openly state that this matter does not involve Israel's political future. The evil intentions of the Arabs are not only directed against our national independence, but against the continued existence of Jewish presence in Israel. It's not just about the government and the nation state. It's against the presence of Jews in Israel. It's against Jews. They aspire to exterminate God forbid, issue men, women, children, infants, sheep, and cattle. Let's say, what was true in the Rub's time in 1956 is in many ways, not in all ways, but in many ways still true today. I wish it were different. Men, women, children, if it's a sheep and cattle, at a meeting of Mizrahi, the religious audience of America, the rev was a president, by the way, I repeated in the name of my father, a blessed memory. You see, he's quoting his father again, or Moshe another bombshell, another important point. That the notion of the Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation is not confined to a certain race, but includes a necessary attack against any nation or group infused with mad hatred that directs its enmity against the community of Israel. Amalek is not a people. It is an idea. I mean, it started as a people. It's an idea. The Nazis, Hezbollah, Iran. These guys are all Amalek. They want to destroy us. Nasser, Hafez al-Assad, all these guys. They are all Hamas. They are all Yasser Arafat. They are all Amalek, according to the Rav. Now, not everybody agrees with this. Okay, everyone agrees that we have the right to defend ourselves, but whether you classify these people as Amalek is not a point that everyone agrees with. And we're gonna—I'll sh- share with you the Duke and the Rambam where the Rub gets this from. Okay, let's just finish uh, reading the chapter. When a nation emblazons on a standard, come let us cut them off from being a nation, so that the name of Israel should no longer be remembered. It becomes Amalek in the 1930s and 40s, The Nazis with Hitler at their helm filled this role. In his most recent period, they were the Amalekites, the pre- representatives of insane hate. Today, the throngs of Nasser and the Mufti have taken their place. Okay, the, the anti-Semitism of Nazi Germany has passed through to the Arab world. Look at the cartoons. Look at the look at what's in the Arab media today. It's always been this way. Remember Durban. The con- Durban Convent conference? Right? Remember what that looked like? All the anti-Semitism from under the surface became exposed and was revealed. Do not rely on the justice of the liberal world. Sorry, I do not know how we will judge before God. Do not rely on the justice of the liberal world. Those pious liberals were alive 15 years ago and witnessed the destruction of millions of people with equanimity and did not lift a finger. They are liable to observe God forbid the repetition of the bloodbath and not lose nights' sleep. Come, let us pray for our friends. Let us feel for the suffering of the Shuv. We must understand that the fate of the Jews in the land of Israel is our fate too. The Arabs have declared war not only on the state of Israel, but on the entire Jewish people. They are now the leaders of the, and financial supporters of international anti-Semitism. And it's true. The fight against Israelis is the fight against Jews are one and the same. A fight against Jews in Yudah is a fight against all of Midianath Yisrael and all of the world. It's about a right to exist. Let us overcome the foolish fears of dual loyalty and let us remember without Midianath Yisrael we were killed and exterminated in, in these other places. So our only option is to have a nation state. Let us overcome the foolish fears of dual loyalty that our enemies have instilled in us. To begin with, it is always impossible to satisfy anti-Semites and they will find fault in whatever we do. Second, the matter relates to the not, not only to the continued existence of a state, but to the physical salvation of masses of Jews. It is not our sacred obligation to come to their aid. Is it not our sacred obligation to come to their aid? Is it forbidden for us to seek the security issue? We are being put to the test of Job. We've been given the opportunity to pray by virtue of deeds and self-sacrifice for our friends. And our friend is the Jewish community in the land of Israel. We must do but one thing. Open the door to the beckoning beloved and immediately all dangers will disappear. Now, where does the Rub get this idea from that Amalek? is not just a people, but an idea. It's based on a diuk in the Rambam. Okay? And this he talks about in footnote number 23. And he speaks about, he references the Rambam's Hilchot Melachim U'milchim Otehem. Is anybody here in our daily Rambam Yomi group? Yeah. Okay, Efe. So when we get to Bezrat Hashem all the way to the end, after 982 chapters, we get to the end. Okay. Hilchot Melachim. Four from the five. Six from the last is this chapter. So the Ramam says, um, you know, first of all, there's a commandment to kill the seven nations that were here 3,500 years ago. They're not here anymore. Fine. Okay. Um, And the Ramam says about them. Okay. In fact, their memory has already been erased. That's what he says about the seven Canaanite tribes. In the next halacha, the Rambam also speaks about Amalek. And he says, And and similarly, it is a positive mitzvah to erase the memory of Amalek. As it says, erase the memory of Amalek. Okay? Now, but what does the Rambam fail to say? He doesn't say about Amalek like he says about the seven nations. And they have ceased to exist. Right? Seven nations have ceased to exist according like to the Ram, but he doesn't say the same thing about Amalek. What does it say? What can we infer from here? Amalek still exists. But we don't know where they are. No one's ever no one here has met an Amaleki. No one sat on the plane and said, Oh, I'm sitting next to this Amaleki guy. Right? Never happens. So why didn't the Rambam say the same thing about Amalek, that they were also lost to existence because they were dispersed in the times of Sancheir, like he does about the other seven tribes? And he said, I heard the answer from my father, every nation that conspires, it's because they still exist. Where is Amalek? Any nation who wants to kill us. The Amalekim passed on the torch to other nations. Okay? To the Romans, to the Greeks, and to the Christians, you know, at certain points in time. And to the Muslims and to the Nazis, and uh, not 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 all the time, you know. But at certain points in history, all of these nations have played the role. They filled in the the equality, the status of being Amalek. Okay. Now there is further discussion about then. So what is our responsibility in terms of these, you know, in blotting out the the memory of Amalek? That's a further discussion we're not going to get into now. But this is indeed uh, based on a diuk and the Rambam. Okay, so top. With this, we conclude the uh, chapter 10. Okay. And Bezrat Hashem, will start chapter 11 next time. The vision of the religious Zionist movement, loneliness and separateness. Okay, we're going to stop here. Shkoch, everybody. Okay, we'll continue Bezrat Hashem next week. We're going to have Marv in the side room and also we're going to say a parak of Tehillim for all those in need of uh, healing from the pikuwa yesterday.